You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Today, we are going to follow with the books of the Minor Prophets after Obadiah comes. One of everybody's favorites, I think. <laughs> it's Jonah. And we have a slide. So I have a question. Uh, that's how I always picture Jonah. I never picture him with a smile, right? I always, um, I was thinking, okay, if Jeremiah is known for being the weeping, crying, whining prophet, Jonah for me would be like grumpy, like in Snow White, like he's grumpy, grumpy prophet, right? So the first question, how many of you have heard about Jonah? That book. How many of you don't have any idea about Jonah? All right, so we get all to get to know Jonah today, okay? So for those of you that have heard about Jonah or this book, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you know that we're going to be talking about Jonah? Yes, Bart. Calamities. Yes, yeah, that's one thing. All right, yes, Kat. Seafood. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like seafood. <laughs> yes, yes. The whale. Yes, the whale. Yes, what else? I know. Well, yes, all of that is what we always think about, and I got like two pictures because. It's very well known among kids. I'm usually with the kids upstairs, and they usually have this lesson about Jonah, and it shows something like this. There, he's praying just safely in the belly of a whale, and the whale is happy, right? And then he gets, like, vomited, and, but he's very clean and everything, and, but, and it's always a whale. And we don't know if it was a whale. The Bible says it was just a big fish, and it's just an episode, but... There's so much more going on in this tiny book. It's only four chapters. So we're going to just invite the Holy Spirit to continue moving and let us see what he sees in this tiny book. And it's beyond the happy whale <laughs> and a happy Jonah. Okay? So um, let's close our eyes and let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you because you are real and you are who you are. You are so good. We thank you for today. It's not a coincidence that each of us is sitting here today. And we want to hear your voice. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to keep moving and touch every heart and every mind. Impress your love. Feel that love, impress your truth, deposit gifts, everything that you have in the store for each person, Father, just start moving, revealing your heart. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. So we're going to go into Jonah, and as many of you know, I usually... The way God has been speaking to me, it's reading the book and saying park here. Today it's so different. It's very different, and I think it's a different book, and he chose a different way. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the summary, and 
uh, I asked him to show me something new. Like, I, I need something new that I haven't seen before, and it's something new for all of us who are too familiar with the story of John and the whale. And what he did is like, okay, just zoom out, and I'm going to show you like the big picture of what's going on in this little book of Jonah. So we have all kinds of things going. Just for us to know, Jonah was a prophet of the northern kingdom. Okay, remember it was divided, so he lives in the north part of that's Israel. And he lived under the king uh, called or named Jeroboam. And if we remember when we were through kings, we had all these prophets that were prophesizing lies just because they wanted to kind of please the kings. And there was like one or two prophets that were prophesizing the truth, what God was saying. Well, Jonah is one of those that were prophesizing lies. And he's like, okay, we're starting not in a really well direction, but this is Jonah, and now he is listening to God. And it's a different book. Usually we see God speaking to the prophets, okay, go and do this, go and say that, and they are like, they're, yes, immediately do it. Or like Moses, like, oh, no, please don't send me because I'm not really good with words. Uh, uh, but they keep talking to God, right? And they eventually do it. Well, with Jonah, okay, we're going to uh, read how it starts. He starts by listening to God, and we go to Jonah 1, 2. This is a historical person, so this is a historical book. And this is what we read. This is God speaking. He says, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah did arise, he rose, but to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into this boat to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So the first thing that we find is Jonah, as all the prophets that we have seen so far, listening to God, but he doesn't obey. Right? So we have a map for us for, to visualize what is it. Okay, so I had marked... Okay, the little, in the bottom, there's a little red dot, Joppa. That's where he went, okay? God told him to go to Nineveh, which it is, this is to the east, okay? Going inland to the northeast, Nineveh is there. So he goes to Joppa, and the next slide show you, shows you or shows us. Tarshish, it's all the opposite way, way far. He went all the way west. <laughs> So I was thinking, okay, so this is like if you were telling any of us, we are here in Cohoes, I want you to go to New York City or to Boston, okay? And we go to the Albany Airport, pay our own ticket to go to LA. That the farthest I can get in the opposite direction, that's where we go. That is what Jonah did, right? So I can imagine Jonah. We, if we remember the history that we've seen in these books, we might remember that, okay, Nineveh is in Assyria, and historically, that has been the enemy of Israel for years and years and years, right? They are known to the Israel people and Judah as cruel. 
violence, a lot of injustice. So for Jonah to be listening, and God is saying, I want you to go to the ones that have oppressed you for years, that have killed that, uh, all the negative things. I want you to talk to them on my behalf. I can imagine Jonah saying, like, what? You want me, like me, to go there and to do what? So he decides, like, no way. A plane or a boat all the way, the furthest you can get west, in the opposite direction, and that's what he does. So what happens? Yeah, we know the story or history. He gets into this boat, and there's this huge storm. I could picture it like the perfect storm movie. Have you, have you watched that movie? Yeah. Well, I picture it like that because the sailors that are really expert sailors that are in the boat panic. They don't know what to do. They do everything humanly possible. They throw away all the extra weight. They pray to their gods because they didn't believe or they weren't part of Israel. They didn't know the God of Israel. They believed in all of these different gods and each prays to each his own God. And there's no answer. As a matter of fact, it gets worse and worse and worse, right? And what is Jonah doing? He goes inside the boat, gets comfortable, and takes a nap. In the middle of everything, he's just peacefully sleeping. I don't know how he does it, but the captain sees that. He gets very angry. We read that he goes and wakes him up, and we read in the Bible, like, he asks, like, what are you doing, you sleepy one, like, lazy one? We are all here in danger. Pray to your God and see if he listens, because ours are not listening, obviously, right? So Jonah knows what he did. And it's a process between the captain and Jonah, but Jonah ends up telling the truth. Like, it's my fault. I'm a Hebrew, so that they knew he was part of the Israel people. And I love God, the God of Israel, the maker of heavens and earth, the maker of the sea. And when he says this, they really fear, like, oh, and as I was reading, I found out that the sea and the ocean were, was very, a powerful image to all people in that time. Because even when they believed in these gods, they knew that the ocean could not be controlled by any of them. So when Jonah says, I believe in this God that made the ocean, something happens in their spirits, like, oh. This is a superior one. This is, this is the real thing. There is a God that made the oceans. And Jonah tells them, you have to throw me away to the sea, and then you'll be safe. And still, they, them not being followers of God, they still struggle. Like, we don't want to do that. How are we going to kill this guy? So they believe in God. They ask for forgiveness. Like, please don't count this against us. And they don't have any other option but to obey Jonah and his son into the ocean. And we read that the ocean quieted down. And they were in such fear and awe because now they knew that there was a God that created the ocean and would command the ocean and he was real. So that was the way he manifested himself to these people. They believed in him. 
And then verse 17, we read, Jonah is in this wild ocean. You can imagine that. The way I picture it, I picture a lot of things. I picture all these um, videos about surfing. Have you seen surfers? And when they go under a huge wave, that scares me so much because I don't imagine how, what, what goes on under the water like that. But I imagine Jonah going like that under the water. And, and verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So the quick summary after this, these three days and three nights, chapter 2 describes that Jonah is very aware inside this fish of God's presence. And he says a poem or a song just thanking him because he's about, he was about to just drown. And now at least he's alive inside darkness. He doesn't know. Okay, maybe it was not a whale maybe, but he's there. God tells the fish to vomit Right, Jonah, after the three days, and he gets vomited <laughs> uh, there. And I just imagine all the gooey stuff and the smell. Okay, just have to picture that. Uh, yes, he takes the second chance. He finally obeys. He goes to Nineveh. He goes to the east way to go. And he keeps walking. And it says it's a big city. It takes three days to go through the city. He keeps walking, and at the end of day one, he finally starts speaking, saying, God has this message for you. You have to repent. And the wild thing is that they just believe. Something happens in their spirit. These cruel people that have these little men that they had oppressed for years, and they believe. And it says that the king just commanded everybody to fast, to repent. And he says, even the cattle had to fast and repent. And I just was thinking, I don't imagine that. How did they react, right? They repent. God sees their heart. He decides to forgive them. Everything that they have done is erased in God's eyes. And he doesn't do anything against them. So Jonah gets again, obviously very angry, like, I knew that you were so good. I just knew that you were going to forgive them. Why do you make this to me? All right? And he goes and sits on a hill and tries to wait and see if they are going to be destroyed, still hoping they are going to be destroyed. It doesn't happen. God sends like a plant to grow and cover him, to shade him, because I read that this area, the average temperature during the day is 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. No shade. You get heat stroke, and the Bible says Jonah was about to get faint, and God makes this plant to grow and change him. So he's really, really happy about the plant. But then a worm comes and eats the plant, and Jonah again like, gets very angry, like, how come this plant had to die? Right? So it's, a very, it's just like a part of a story in the life of Jonah. So I just feel that if you were um, watching any series in Netflix, you miss the beginning and the end and you just watch this episode in the middle. That's the book of Jonah, right? We don't know how he responded at the end. But God just, I just felt that he's leading us to kind of zoom out and see what's going on like in between the lines. And what I saw is just God moving from the beginning to the end. Usually I would focus on Jonah 
right, his reactions, but if you focus on God in this book, you're going to see that he's moving all the time. He's commanding, he is appointing, he is setting things in place, he speaks and things happen, he doesn't stop moving. So one phrase got my attention when you read through this book, and this phrase, this phrase is, you're reading and all of a sudden it's like, and God appointed this. And you continue reading, and God appointed that, right? So we're going to see what is it that he appointed. And it really, uh, it's very impressive because he reveals through the book of Jonah how powerful is the God that we follow. He is sovereign. There's no one like him, like the sailors believe that. Like, is there a God that created the oceans really? Yes. There is a God. And he, that sovereignty, that power, is what he wants to reveal in this book. So he appointed four things that we are going to read very, very quickly. He says that he appointed the wind or the waves and the storm at the beginning. Number two, he appointed the big fish. It just says the big fish. Number three, he appointed the plant and he appointed the worm that was to eat the plant. And I was thinking, okay, I just want to imagine this, and I was talking to my kids. Okay, if you command the waves to move, they just obey, right? Because it's water. But what about the fish? The fish is a living being, and I just was trying to imagine, okay, he had to prepare the fish way in advance. Like, okay, John is going to be right here at this specific point in the huge ocean. I want you little fish or big fish to be right there. For, but for the time when he's run up, and how does a fish say, okay, Lord, okay, God, or yes, I don't know, but I, I was like, I want to see that. Like, how does a fish react to that? And what about the plant? He commanded a plant to speed up the process of growing in a supernatural way so that in a matter of hours, Virjona could have some shade. How does the plant respond to that? Like, is it going to be saying, yeah, yes, okay, I'm growing up? And what about the worm? I just couldn't help but think about uh, Hermie and Wormy from Max Lucado. Do you know those little cute cartoonish things to a Wormy? Like, okay, how do you speak to Wormy? <laughs> it's just a little, little, little worm. Like, I want you to go and eat this plant that is right here, and the worm, what's, what, 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 what does he say? Like, okay. <laughs> I eat and eat and eat, and supernaturally don't get sick or die, but I'm going to be eating. Uh, and that really just was like impressing my mind. Like, okay, Lord, what do you, are you showing here? I can see how sovereign and powerful you are. And he wrote to my mind, obviously, that Jesus mentioned this story of Jonah when he came to earth. The people that didn't believe in Jesus were asking, give us a sign that you are really the Messiah, the Messiah. you are really the Son of God. And Jesus answered them, you are requesting for a sign. We won't give you any sign but the sign of Jonah. Meaning, Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, and he was just telling them in advance, you're going to know when I'm to the cross, I'm going to be in that grave three days and three nights. No more than that. There was no fourth day. Okay, that was the sign, and I was thinking, okay, 
Jesus, you knew the story. You knew the person. You knew what happened. Maybe you commanded all of this. You appointed all of this. And he started kind of bringing to my mind, like, okay, we see the wind in Jonah. You commanded the wind. And all of a sudden, I had this picture of Jesus going with the 12 disciples in a boat. And he, in person, commanded the wind. Remember? That's on Matthew 8, 26. He commanded the wind, and the storm stopped. Like, whoa, that's the real person of Jesus doing that. And then I saw the next, it's the big fish. You commanded the big fish. And then I was like, okay, where are you with the fish? Jesus. And he reminded me about this story where they had to pay taxes. And Peter is like, what do we do? We need to pay taxes. Is it okay? And he's like, yes. I want you to go, the fisherman, go and fish just one fish. You cannot fish with the net like a hundred fish. I want you to take the first fish that you see, open the mouth, and you will find coins or a coin there, and you'll pay the taxes for you and for me because it's going to be enough for both of us. And I'm like, oh, you came, and in person, you commanded another fish. I don't know what you commanded, and I was thinking, did you order here to eat a coin? And just swim right here because Peter is going to take you and don't be afraid because he won't kill you. He'll just open your mouth and you give him this. Like, what's happening with creation here, right? Creation, it's really just obeying his creator, okay? And then the next thing with the plant. I'm like, okay, I'm getting excited. And like, okay, Jesus, where are you with the plant? And he reminded me about the fig tree that he just walks with the disciples, he's hungry, he sees a fig tree but doesn't have any fruits, and he's like, you won't give fruits anymore because you are not producing fruit right now that it's needed. And then the disciples go by that plant just hours later and see the plant completely dead. The, it's like a reverse process. In Jonah, we see speeding up the process of growing, and in Jesus, he commands the plant speed up the process of dying, and it's done. It's done. And then I was like, okay, where's Wormy in the New Testament? <laughs> like, and I'm like, okay, I cannot think of any worm. If you think of a worm, just tell me. But he did give me the picture of the donkey that he rode to enter into Jerusalem. And I was like, oh, donkeys were like the least of the least, okay, in the animal levels in that society. And uh, in Matthew, we read that he commands the disciples, well, we're going to be having Passover dinner. I want you to go. You're going to find a donkey with the baby. I want you to untie them both and bring them to me. And that reminded me that I heard somewhere, why did he take both? And they said, he so cares that he didn't want to be mom or baby donkey to be stressed because one of them was missing. And I was like, how caring is that? Like, I don't see a worm, but I can see you there. And I saw this sovereign God in Jonah that there's really nothing impossible for him. Nothing is impossible. So when I thought about, okay, Jonah inside of a fish being alive, and I just, I just felt him smiling and saying, that's easy. Just look at Lazarus. He was four days dead. 
And when I think about that, my mind goes like he was very dead. Right? If you can be very, very dead. Four days, Jesus calls him out of the tomb, and he comes back to life. And then our natural mind is saying that's impossible, because how you make a brain work, the blood flow and everything, and have no damage, after four days, it's easy for him to have Jonah keep him alive in three days, right? So if the natural mind says that's impossible, that's crazy, I just could feel my spirit saying, like, is it? Like, for God, nothing, nothing is impossible. So seeing this big picture, I felt that he was saying, you can see all this movement, all of this action, God doing, God speaking, all with one purpose. And he wanted to reveal that purpose to Jonah, and he wanted to reveal that to us. Just one thing. God loves every single human, even the cruel ones, even your enemies. And I was like, oh, okay, seeing all this power, all this sovereign God, the majestic of God, just to show us that he loves every single human being, even the cruel ones and even your enemies, that must be so important for us to get. So I was thinking, okay, what's happening in my heart and your heart when you think about the person that hurt you the most or those who are really hard to love and just be so aware that this amazing God loves them as much as, as much as he loves you and me. What happens inside? Because at the end, God asked Jonah these two questions, and it has to be dealing with a matter of the heart. And the question is, do you do well to be angry? Do you think it's okay for you to be so angry? And then I was thinking, okay, because we are going through this series and we are talking about justice and injustice. And he gave me the picture of Jesus being angry at the temple and just like turning the tables because, and he says like, yeah, you have permission to be angry when it's justified, if it's an injustice. That's okay, That's, and it's normal to be angry. But just to be angry as a lifestyle, because somebody cuts you on the road, or because my plant died, just because that is something in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And I could see Jonah, okay, like, Jonah was angry at God because God is so good. Right? And then Jonah was sad for the plant, angry for the plant. That's like, okay, that's not, God is telling Jonah and us, there are times when I can see that you're angry and I'm as angry because of injustice. But there are times where I can see anger and I can see that it's hurting you. And I don't want anything to hurt you. So we have to deal with it. James 1 came to my mind again about anger. This is one of the verses that spoke to me a lot years ago. 
1.19.20 says, Know these, my beloved brothers, let every person, and he's talking to brothers and sisters, okay, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because, he explains, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness or the justice of God. So if we have this anger just as a lifestyle or very, very easily, and we really are looking for the justice of God to come, me being angry won't help at all. It's that important before God's eyes. He wants us to have his heart and his compassion. And he uses this extreme example of forgiving the worst of the worst enemies. Just telling Jonah, I love them. And he asks, okay, Jonah, for the very, very end, the last verses in this book, it's a question from God with no answer from Jonah. It's just there, okay? Verses 10, 11, and the Lord said, you pity or you have compassion on the plant or for the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? It's a big city in which there are more than 120,000 people at least who don't know their right hand from their left and also much. So I really felt like, oh God, this is, if we see the whole picture like he was trying to show us, like see the whole picture. This is like saying today, you are fighting for animal rights, but don't do anything for human rights. Because, Jonah, you're having compassion and pity for a plant. And I have compassion for people. And I want you to have compassion for people. And this gave me another image, like, oh, what about all the babies that are unborn? There are a lot of people, and it's, it's good that are fighting for these unborn people. But they don't do anything for the ones that are already born. For, and, like, see the whole picture. Like, this sovereign God is revealing us something with a purpose. He loves all. He loves all. So I really felt like he was saying, just focus on me. That's the correct perspective. Focus on my heart. And you won't miss the direction. You won't miss the way to go. You won't miss the way to behave. Uh, God loves every human being on the planet, good or bad. They still have a chance if they get to meet Jesus. When I thought about this, I just saw this kind of a staircase and that he was saying, uh, this is the time of the going further and going deeper. Because I had so clear from last Sunday that when he says, no revenge, I felt that he's saying like, okay, you got it, no revenge. I want you to take this step for, forward. Now, love them. And that's going to be really hard, just like Amy said. Because we know that people can be evil and can be hurtful, but God loves them. 
He sent Jesus for them too. He died for them too. And he saw suffering. That maybe, just maybe, what if we just decide to forgive like Amy said? And then he'll appoint this to them and he'll appoint this to you and he's moving in the background and we don't see the whole picture, but he starts moving and doing things for your own good. So we were praying this morning and I had this picture of uh, this. This is dealing with our hearts. This is dealing with accountability. And I just looked up the, the definition of that and it said that it's the willingness to accept responsibility or to account for one's actions. And I was thinking, okay, you revealed your heart to Jonah. Jonah had to deal with his heart. And we don't know if he asked for forgiveness ever. <laughs> but we do have that responsibility. What Amy did, it was just it's such a powerful confirmation of what God wants us to do. If you want to see like God sees, if you want that supernatural love of God in your life to love those who really we struggle to love, we need to follow his direction. And his direction is if you want to love them, the first thing that you have to do is forgive them. And the picture that I had was a fishing hook. Like when you don't forgive, when you decide to have that in your heart, it's like the enemy sending a hook to your heart and like now it's there hurting the flesh of your heart. And he can pull it anytime he wants to. When you forgive, what I saw is like God reaching down and hooking and releasing you from that. And it was so powerful. And I felt that he is really asking, are you willing to at least try? If you want to go in the right direction, if you want to go up to the further to the next step, are you willing to try? Are you willing to let the hook off from your heart? Just to be free from that. No more hurting. But you have to be willing to try and forgive and ask for his love. The question, it's on um, the screen that we have, and I want you to and me be thinking about it. It's, what are the obstacles, Look, just like Jonah, what are the obstacles that are coming up to you, to your life, and that are maybe limiting you or stopping you from going after God's heart, from doing what he wants us to do. In the case of Jonah was anger. And we heard last week, maybe it's revenge, maybe it's anger like Jonah, maybe it's offense. I found that personally, by personal experience, that just having offense in your heart is very powerful. It, that's like a big, big, huge hook that the enemy pulls anytime he wants. So God has been teaching me to every time that something happens, and I know that and my heart is offended because I'm so hurt, I have to deal with it immediately. And it costs tears, but it's worth it because you don't want that hook on your heart. You don't want that, and God doesn't want that. So we're going to be responding. We need to tell God, yes, I'm willing 
if not to do it right now, at least to try. So you're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind those people that have hurt you. And we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to just take off the hook for you not to have that hurt anymore. We're going to try and forgive. And forgive doesn't mean forgetting. Okay, the memories are going to be there. But if you just take the just make the decision like Amy, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to ignore my feelings and I'm just going to go for it and forgive. You'll see miracles. God will take the hook off. And you'll see how he's moving all around you, appointing things, even warmies, even the wind. I don't know what, but he's appointing things on your behalf and moving on your behalf and loving you. And he's going to do something. So let's maybe take a literal step. And I would invite you, if you are able to stand up, and just tell God, this is my step. Like, I really want to go further and deeper.